Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Day's here alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. We are packed jammed today looking forward to dispensing as much truth as we possibly can and as winsomely as we possibly cannot coming up on the program today uh, bottom of the hour uh, we did a fundraiser earlier this year with our best-selling book rise of the fourth reich for one sam sigaloff he is one of the individuals we interviewed in the book and his story continues on. Uh, his battle continues on. And he's going to join us at the bottom of the hour and give us an update on that story. Uh, and the battle again. Now now we have the military saying, hey, yeah, um, come, we're sorry, kind of. Come back, but we, we won't. We'll forget the whole thing except for, you know, restoring what we took away from you. Yeah, we're going to talk to Sam about that at the bottom of the hour. Uh, next hour, we'll be joined by my daughter. We're going to play some fake news or not. And then for Pop Culture Tuesday, I'm going to admit, I looked around and I thought to myself, what topic could I pick? Aaron, what topic could I pick that I thought had the best chance to provoke Todd Erson? Do you think mm. I picked it? Knowing what's coming? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Because next to instant replay, what is Todd's... What's the bane of Todd Todd's sports fandom next to instant replay? Um, basically anything other than the game itself these days. <laughs> More specifically, the realignment, yeah. which is better known as consolidation. It's not a realignment. It's a consolidation. Okay. And lo and behold, we have a coach who has left his alma mater in the lurch because they don't they don't have a league right now. They don't have a conference right now. They have no idea what league they'll be in next year, what their schedule will be in next year. And he left his alma mater in the lurch to take what's probably the ninth, 10th, 11th best job in the newly consolidated Big Ten starting next year. And I would imagine, Todd, I'm just going to, I'd imagine you might have a few things to say about this, knowing you as I do. And I'm just going to, I'm going to just tee up the topic, man. Wind you up. And uh, I'm going to smoke them if you got them, if you're okay with that. Well, it's fun to be right about things, so I'll do it. All right. So we will do that with the Pop Culture Tuesday. It's a topic, frankly, many of you aren't interested in. I I think you'll be deeply interested, though, in, in, in Todd's anger in response to this topic. But you should be, because it's not actually a sports topic like Instant Replay. This reflects go. on we who we are Here as we go. people. <laughs> And as I've changed many of your hearts and minds yes. on Instant Replay, yes, I'm right about this, and everybody else is a drunk man-boy child who um, needs to just grow up. And you know I'm right because of how bad your arguments are when you come back at me. So should we just go? Should we just jump to we Pop could, Culture Tuesday let's right just now? Do the whole show about this because it is. It's way more about sports. It, this isn't a sport. This is the truth. It's not a sports topic. It isn't. I chose correctly. So <laughs> Dana writes, I just placed my second order for first cup coffee and I'm with Aaron. It's a food group. 
It's that good. It's that essential. I tried the Lexington. It's one of the. It's one of their dark roast. It was divinely delicious from the time the aroma hit my nose to when I opened the bag to the last cup I just drank. I'm ordering the Lexington again and trying one of the blends. I would add this for any coffee lover on your Christmas list. Thank you guys for the recommendation. We love hearing from satisfied customers. So if you want to try First Cup Coffee Company, Christian-owned Patriot Coffee Company, you can try it right now at firstcup.com. Use the code DACE to save an additional 10% on your order. If you subscribe, you save an additional 10% for the life of your subscription. Firstcup.com. Use the code DACE to save an additional 10% off. Subscribe and save an additional 10% for the life of your subscription as well. You can't beat it, according to Aaron and several of you in our audience. Speaking of Aaron, let's get it rolling. All right. Now that Todd's already heated up, ready to go. All right. Here's what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the most important op-ed you'll hear all week. And it comes courtesy of Daniel Horowitz writing at The Blaze. We need something more than look at my polls. Republicans have spent the past year reassuring ourselves that everything will be fine in 2024 because the polls show Trump beating Biden across the board. Wake up. Republicans continue to win in the polls, but then lose all the important elections. Rather than forcing innovative changes and forward-looking strategies, the response from the broader conservative industry is to celebrate with more polls. We're winning. Donald Trump is going to win the primary and run the table in all the critical states against Biden. Just wait for next November and everything will be okay. In other words, we don't need a facelift, a leadership change, or a messaging upgrade. Now for a reality check. We cannot afford to continue with this delusion. We cannot keep thinking we already have the ball in the end zone when we don't. During the 1993 Super Bowl, Dallas Cowboys defensive tackle Leon Lett famously celebrated before he got the ball into the end zone, only to have the ball stripped from him by Buffalo Bills wide receiver Don Beebe. In that case, the Cowboys already had a massive lead, so the Lett blunder was merely symbolic. But in our case, we're the ones losing big time and cannot afford to satiate our imperative to achieve with symbolism or worse, junk pulls. Conservatives spent much of 2022 anticipating a red tsunami in the November elections based on nothing more than junk pulls. Despite the unpopularity of the Biden presidency, the malaise around the world and record inflation, Republicans bucked all political science trends by losing a Senate seat and two governorships, as well as several state legislative chambers. If not for a reapportionment in places like Florida and an overperformance by Lee Zeldin in New York, Democrats would have kept the House. This was the GOP's third loss in a row. But we had the polls. So as conservatives continue to celebrate auspicious polling data, let's review the polls headed into the midterm elections last year. Here is the rate of underperformance by each Republican candidate relative to the final Real Clear Politics poll average headed into the election. In Pennsylvania, the RCP polling average had Mehmet Oz winning that race by 0.4 points. John Fetterman won by five full points. That means the Democrats overperformed in that race by 5.4 points over the RCP average. In New Hampshire, the Democrats overperformed in that Senate race by 7.7 points. In Nevada, Democrats won a race they were favored to lose and overperformed by 4.3 points. In Arizona, Democrats won a race they were favored to lose and overperformed the RCP average by 5.2 points. In Georgia, Democrats won a race they were favored to lose and overperformed the RCP average by 2.3 points. In Washington, Democrats over 
overperformed in that Senate race by 11 and a half points. In Wisconsin, Democrats overperformed the RCP average by 2.6 points, despite the fact that Ron Johnson ended up winning his race. In North Carolina, same story. Democrats overperformed by three points, despite Ted Budd winning that race. In Ohio, Democrats overperformed that race by one and a half points over the RCP average, despite, again, J.D. Vance winning his race. In Florida, Republicans in that Senate race actually outperformed the Democrats in the RCP average by about 7.6 points. In the gubernatorial races in Wisconsin, Tim Michaels was favored to win by about a half point. Tony Evers won by 3.3 points for a Democrat overperformance of the RCP average by 3.9 points. In Oregon, Christine Drazen was actually favored to win in the RCP average. She lost to Tina Kotek by 3.4 points for an overperformance of 8.4 points. In Arizona, of course, Carrie Lake was favored to win that race, but Democrats overperformed by 4.1 points. In Michigan, Whitmer overperformed by 9.6 points over the RCP average. Same story in Minnesota. Tim Walls overperformed over the RCP average by 3.4 points. In Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro overperformed by 6.5 points. In Nevada, Joe Lombardo was projected to win by about three points. He ended up winning by one and a half points for a Democrat overperformance of 1.3 points. In Colorado, Jared Paulus overperformed over the RCP average by 8.6 points. And in Florida, well, the Republican governor there overperformed expectations in the RCP polling average by 7.2 points. Notice how Republicans dramatically underperformed in the most critical races, especially considering we're a closely divided country. When you look at the final polls headed into the home stretch, the margin of error is even more dramatic because polls showed Republicans building momentum in the final days. Republicans overperformed by a mile in one U.S. Senate race, bucking the national trend. That was in Florida, where the governor was the driving political force in that state and, of course, overperformed in his own reelection. The lesson of the 2022 midterms was quite clear. We had one man who eschewed the establishment and Donald Trump's personal flaws, and he resonated big time. But instead of looking for new horizons, our movement chose to embrace the status quo because who needs to win elections when you can keep winning polls? And win polls we have. We've spent the past year reassuring ourselves that everything will be fine in 2024 because, after all, the polls show Trump beating Biden across the board. Meanwhile, back in the real world where elections matter, Republicans have woefully underperformed in nearly every special legislative election this year, despite the flagging economy and a highly unpopular Democrat president in the White House. In 21 of 27 special elections through September of this year, Democrats have overperformed Biden's 2020 margins by an average of seven points. This culminated with big losses earlier this month in the off-year elections in Virginia and Kentucky and several other places. Republicans believe they don't need to switch strategies because Trump is ahead of Biden in the RCP average by 2.3 percentage points. So what? The midterm elections showed polls have had a consistently pro-GOP bias that evaporated in the face of actual elections. Nevertheless, and despite losing election after election this year, Republicans and conservatives continue to salivate over poll numbers. It's unreal. We need a strategy, a vision, and a plan. We continue to elect milquetoast Republicans in deep red parts of the country while we lose to Democrats in swing and even light red districts. We can debate who or what is to blame, and it likely is several factors, but clearly the status quo is not working. We have a vivid proof of concept for success with a man who shall not be named, but clearly most conservative media are uninterested. So what do we do? Chronicling the decline of a country might be profitable to a select group of right-leaning pontificators, but it's calamitous for the rest of us. Again, that's Daniel Horowitz writing at the blaze. And that's what happened while we were away. Oh, boy.
we are going to discuss this for sure. And you know, it's something if we made the entire montage one piece. First, though, uh, diversify your savings and physical with physical precious metals while stockpiling silver in your home safe. It's Birch Gold's most popular special of the year. Now through December 22nd, for every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they'll send you a one-ounce silver coin, silver e one-ounce silver eagle coin for free. If you want to take advantage of this offer, text Steve to 989-898 to claim your eligibility now. You can purchase gold and silver, have it shipped directly to your home, or have Birch Gold's precious metals specialist help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. And they'll send you the free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it for yourself or give something with real value as a stocking stuffer this year. Just text the keyword Steve to 989-898 to claim your eligibility with Birch Gold with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. But remember, you got to do this before December the 22nd. Text Steve to 989-898. Coming up in the overtime today, we are in need of something. Um, we, we are looking for a trusty America First handy guide of when it is okay to talk about global issues because of the amount of fentanyl pouring over the border. Because over the last couple of weeks, we've been told we are not, it's not okay uh, to talk about what uh, Israel's 9-11 because of the fentanyl pouring over the American border. But it is okay to go to Spain and cover the election there. It is okay to nocturnal emission over an Argentinian president. And it's now okay to do entire programs on what's happening in Ireland. So I'm, I'm, I am completely at a loss of when it is okay because of the amount of fentanyl pouring over the border to go ahead and talk about global issues within the America First uh, hymnal. Uh, we'll discuss that today uh, in the overtime and see if we can come now and reason together with a, with a multitude of counsel uh, to figure out what is the trusty guide for knowing when global issues are okay to talk about. For now, let's talk about what Daniel just wrote. And... There are, there are multiple driving forces here. Some of you are going to immediately want to jump to, well, they're stealing elections. The turnout models are not high. Here's why that matters. Because what we saw in 2020 is we saw this massive influx of mail-in ballots that were, in many cases, like completely uniform, dropped off at 4 a.m., had 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 chain of custody issues and other problems and this in, in this extremely high turnout election and so we were told with with a high turnout of all these mail-in ballots efficiency was better than it ever was before we had the lowest rejection rate of mail-in ballots than we'd had in recent history that's just not how mathematics works okay you don't you don't get an influx of something you don't get more volume of something than you're anticipating and have it go more efficiently Especially at 4 a.m. Especially at 4 a.m. But in these, in these off-year elections, special elections, we're not seeing skyrocketing. We're not seeing skyrocketing turnout. So the idea that these are just Democrats conjuring ballots late in the night, I don't buy it. And I, and, and I mean, I, I have cost myself tens of thousands of dollars conservatively in revenue for this show over the last three years because of what I don't believe about the 2020 election, which is I don't believe it was a legitimate election. I don't. 
and no one's presented me any evidence to change my mind. Unlike Jason Miller and several people prominent on the Trump team, I, who admitted under oath to the January 6th committee that they knew the election, they didn't think the election was stolen. I actually still think that it was. I still think that it was. But we're not seeing that here. We're not, we're not seeing unusually high turnouts and all these other things and the conjuring of ballots. So I don't think, you know, you're going to have to come up with something better than they're just stealing all these elections. I do think you could say that there is a turnout problem in terms of the way that they have a model for turning out voters that we do not on the right. I, I think that that's legitimate. But is anybody talking about addressing any of that substantively? Nope. Nope. What, what is all, what, what's all anybody talks about? Whatever the show is. Yeah, and the show is the polls. I... Occam's razor. The simplest, most direct explanation is usually the right one, right? Let's get to it. There's a lot of possible answers for this. Some of them are Democrats have always been more fixated on the machinery of politics than Republicans have been. That's true. There are some technocratic problems that have long existed, though, on the right, long before Trump. I remember when Romney had the ORCA program. Do you remember this, Todd? This is when uh, he, they were convinced that uh, the Obama people, with what they were able to pull off... Uh, with turnout uh, in, you know, in 2008, overperforming the polls, that uh, they were doing uh, illegal ballot harvesting. And so he had this ORCA program where they had all these attorneys stationed at, at, at all these major polling centers around the country, and they were going to launch after them, and, and nothing ever came of it, of course. And then in 2012, Obama overperformed the polls yet again. So it's not a new thing for Republicans to not take the nuts and bolts of elections seriously. And we're in an era right now where the figurehead of the party is a showman, right or wrong. That's I don't even mean that as a that it's not a pejorative. It's just that's what he is. That's that's who he is. He's a showman. And he's not really a sweat the details guy, you know? And so you you if you you put him in charge of an operation that already didn't sweat the details, and now the figurehead of the operation isn't a sweat the details guy. But you just bottom line it for me. Give me the Chiron at the bottom of the screen. I mean, what, give me the, you know, 30 seconds here and, you know, what, what do we need to do? You know, just tell me what to do and who needs to do it. You know, we're, we're not a detail-oriented operation on the right, have not been for a long time. And, and now we're in an era where the figurehead of the right is, is, is more divorced from that as a leader than even Republicans were in the past. He's more of a big picture vision, kind of a communicator, focus, kind of a leader. So that's, that's part of this math. It is part of this math. But, but you would have reached a point when this has happened to you 
now, 2018, 2020, 2022, 2023, okay? I mean, Daniel did not even mention what happened in the, in the off-year elections, early, you know, in, in the first Tuesday of this year. When we held Mississippi was the rallying cry. Losing mayorships in Republican suburbs of red states by 60 points. There's another factor at play here that, that is new. You have to keep asking yourself, what's, what's, what's new? Because understand, it's, Democrats have always been more fixated on the machinery of politics. But when Donald Trump took over in January of 2017, there were fewer elected Democrats in national office in America than there had been in 100 years since before the Great Depression. So there's, there's always been, it's, that's always been baked into the cake. Look at the shirt I'm wearing today, Michigan versus everybody. Go back and look at recruiting rankings going back 40 years, Bo versus Woody. Look at, look at the amount of players picked in the NFL draft. Ohio State's always recruited better. There's more, but there's, it's, not, it's not quite the talent that the Rust Belt used to have, but Ohio has always had more talent than Michigan as a high school recruiting base. Ohio State's always had more players drafted than Michigan. That was true when we were beating John Cooper 10-2-1. That was true. So is that, a, is that part of the formula? Sure. But you know that going in. And yet, with Ohio State, almost always the more talented team, always, almost always with more NFL players on it, Michigan until, you know, the last, uh, you know, for, until a 15-year period starting in the early 21st century, more than held its own in the greatest rivalry in college football, right? It's up for grabs every year. But then a period of time came when Ohio State began to dominate in ways that no one's ever dominated the rivalry since Ohio State was really first establishing itself as a football program. So you have to ask yourself, what's new? What's changed? And what, what, what changed was that Michigan no longer took the rivalry or even football as seriously as it used to. Had ADs that were into marketing gimmicks and putting halos around the big house and making sure people that they were connected to were the coach and not the best coaches they could hire. And factions were divided after Lloyd Carr retired. You know, are we going to go inside with less miles? Are we going to go get a big name? Or, I mean, and, and they puttered around for a long, long time. Hired a coach that they thought was going to fix it for him, and he couldn't fix it until he finally had to take a long look in the mirror at what they were doing wrong and reevaluate. And he did. And the results the last three years speak for themselves. But again, that's not the kind of figure Donald Trump is. It's funny, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting, up, putting together my answers for the end of year Dace Group Roundtable right now. And one of the things that I do when I do that every year is I go back through our podcast library all year long to look at what we've talked about just to make sure there's nothing I'm missing from memory that I wanted to discuss. And it's fascinating. Go back and listen to our shows, January, February, March, April. We're basically, I'm basically on here begging. We're doing everything we can, begging Trump to pay attention to what's going on with this jab. That's just, self-reflection is not anywhere to be found in the Donald Trump ecosystem, for better or for worse. So he's just never going to do what a Jim Harbaugh did. Reassess. Reinvent. Okay. So then what's changed? There is a new dynamic here that has not existed in the past. 
And Daniel addresses it at the end of his piece. For the first time, it, it used to be, it used to be the grifter problem on the right was, I think it, it, it was, in order to win, I will betray my principles. The new problem we have on the right is, I don't have to win at all to get the grift that I want to betray my principles. I'm just going to tell you right now, somebody who works in this business, owns his own show, started his show from nothing. From absolutely nothing. Walked out of a 50,000 watt station where I could have had a job for life, provided I didn't do anything stupid or immoral in the community. Walked out of there, built a show from nothing by the grace of God. Absolutely from nothing. Had to work my way up on networks that don't even exist anymore, went out of business. I've seen every part of this business you could imagine. I've done shows where we were like, we couldn't take calls because we weren't sure we could get the listeners to hosting, get Glenn Beck's program, one of the biggest shows in the history of this industry. So I've, I've seen it all. Here's what's new. What's new for the first time is the content that sells the most is actually what's in contradiction into what will win. That's what's new. That's different. I won't go so far as somebody that I I deeply respect like Pedro Gonzalez, although if this continues on much longer, I could see myself getting there. I'm just not there yet. Where we're losing on purpose, he thinks people lose on purpose because that's where the money's at. We just keep the grifting going and grievance politics and they stole it from us and we were robbed and they did this. I, I don't know that I'm quite ready to go there yet. And here's, I'll tell you why. As much as I love Pedro, I'll tell you why. If, if Trump loses here, his life may be over. Like his fortune, everything. It's all on the line here. If he loses here or the Republicans don't get somebody elected president who would be willing to pardon him, everything he has built for the last seven years is over. Everything is threatened on a very existential level right now. So that's why I'm not willing to go so far as to say people want to lose on purpose because... That's where the money is. But in some respects, what Pedro and I, where we differ, it's irrelevant. The motivation's irrelevant. The end result is the same. Whether it's, as you think, like if you think like Pedro, people are trying to lose on purpose because that's where the money really goes, or it just comes down to people aren't trying to lose on purpose, but what we do to win is what actually loses and, and so it, it's six and one half dozen of the other. You see what I'm saying? It, it doesn't make a difference. But that's, that's what's different. That's what's new here. This is a dynamic that did not exist before. It used to be, all right, we're going to win, so sell out. Now it is sell out, and then we'll find out if we win. That's what's new. And, and, and we are, for the first time now, the, the old argument was, what do we do to win voters? The new argument, no one even argues about what it is to win voters. I love Heritage Foundation, man. I do. But now they're even running articles. I saw this yesterday on Twitter. Democrats hemorrhaging Hispanic voters. I saw this yesterday. I, I just, did we not just have an election? Remember the year 2022, not too long ago? We, we, well, they won the border states in Texas. Remember that? 
those special elections. And that portended this huge Hispanic swing, right? Did that happen in 2022 when we actually had the November elections? No. No, it did not. I mean, if we're going to even have heritage peddling this stuff, that's not even MAGA central. Then that means this is just permeated. This whole thing where we just sit around smelling our own farts has permeated at a molecular level. And if you're like, look at the games, look at the polls. And you're like, look at the games, cuck, traitor. We're done here. That's what's new. I think it's entirely possible the polls are a psyop. I've spent the last two cycles pointing out their methodologies that just do not add up. But in the end, all those things only would work if we buy into it. And what is new here now is that what what generates the instant profit we need in this business to sustain ourselves is for the first time directly at odds with what will actually win elections. And it's hard to serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, love one and hate the other, but you cannot serve them both. I just looked at the clock and saw how the, late it was. Can Go I ahead. add this too? The yep. inverse of this is what's happening in, in Hollywood right now. The stories that they want to tell are the ones that will not make them money. Perfect point. Yeah. That's a perfect point. You're exactly right. Hollywood is doing the same thing we're doing. In reverse. You're exactly right. They are killing themselves because they're not telling the stories people want to go and see at the movies, but the stories they want, as Aaron just said. More in a moment. Politicians will never let a crisis go to waste. We have been invaded. The crisis is being used by Republicans as a photo op by the Democrats to expand their voting base. More than 85% of everybody reaching the border is coming in. That's the definition of an open border. Just down the road, you can get in no problem, no Humvees, no armed guards. What people don't realize is there's a way around everything. The Blaze Originals team traveled to the Texas border, ground zero of the most controversial news story of 2024. With some experts estimating over 4 million border crossings in 2023 alone, we embedded with the Take Our Border Back convoy to investigate. What if the entire narrative you thought you knew was a lie? Go watch the real story of Texas versus the feds and how the elites use the border crisis against us by visiting realbordercrisis.com and use code TEXAS for $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV. For a decade now, Patriot Mobile has been America's only American wireless provider. They stand behind your values. They have exceptional service. We know as a family, we put them to the test ourselves. When it was finally time for us to make the switch, you know, I talked about Patriot Mobile for years on this show. But like a lot of you, you know, it's a hassle making the switch. You've got multiple lines and accounts in your family, and it's just, oh, man, I don't want to go through that. But then there's always a a tipping point moment. And for me, it was when T-Mobile let me know after being a customer of theirs for 20 years that they're going to now start censoring text messages during COVID 
for what they consider to be misinformation. And, and the, the day I received that notice, our family finally made the call to Patriot Mobile, made the switch, and we haven't looked back ever since. They've been outstanding for us. Uh, just a great customer service team. You know, you can switch to any of the major networks within Patriot Mobile anytime you want uh, for free if you're a member. Uh, if you move to a place where one network's just a little bit better, then the other, make the switch anytime, even within the network. You can make the switch to their network from the one you're on now, and even within their network, you can switch anytime you need to as well. If you're a veteran or first responder and you want to switch to Patriot Mobile today, let them know when you call because they've got extra special ways to say thank you for your service. The rest of us can get uh, there to, to get right now for a limited time. You can keep your existing phone or get a free smartphone from Patriot Mobile at patriotmobile.com slash Steve. All right, patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Again, use the promo code FRIDAY76. That's the promo code for this, FRIDAY76. At patriotmobile.com slash Steve, a free smartphone with the promo code FRIDAY76 for a limited time offer if you want to join us at Patriot Mobile right now. Patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Again, promo code FRIDAY76 for the free smartphone. Patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Earlier this year, uh, we did a fundraiser for one of the many uh, that were purged from the military for daring to actually live up to the very um, creeds and values that uh, were instilled in them by that same military. And we featured Sam Sigaloff's story uh, prominently within Rise of the Fourth Reich, our best-selling book. And then we offered autographed versions of, from Daniel Horowitz and I earlier this year because Sam's battle is ongoing. They've even uh, taken now, after getting him out, kicking him out of the military, they've even taken him now into the private sector uh, to try to ruin him from there as well. We wanted to have Sam on before the end of the year to let you hear his story, get an update on his story. And when we scheduled it, we were looking at this, we had no idea that the military was going to announce as it did a right before Thanksgiving. It's so desperate for recruitment now. It wants people to come back after what they did to people like Sam. So Sam, uh, Steve Dace here. Welcome to the Blaze, brother. God bless you. It's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. And, and thank you so much for your wonderful gift and the gift of your of your listeners. This is It's been amazing to see the outpouring of love and support that y'all have given. Thank you so much. Well, it's very earned. I mean, you and many like you, uh, you guys were willing to volunteer to stand a post and stand in the gap for us. And so it was, it was earned that, that when the time came now that it was our turn to stay in that post and stand in the gap for people like you, um, we needed to do that. So we were, we were happy to do that. Let's start at the beginning. Who are you? What's your story? And, and what got you into conflict with the military? So I'm a family medicine doctor. I'm a doctor of osteopathy by trade. I did my residency at Fort Benning, Georgia. So I joined the army. I did my residency through there and had a few PCSs, permit change of stations, and ended up in Alaska when the whole COVID thing broke out. And during that time, it opened my eyes. I was the only doctor that volunteered to work in our COVID clinic for about a month and a half. And then they said, you know, we're not getting any positive tests. And I was testing as many people as I possibly could. And they said, Sigloff, you need to get back to the clinic and start doing more work because they, they thought I was you know, not doing enough work out in the, the COVID clinic tent because there was no positive tests, even after I was trying to test everybody that I possibly could. And then skip forward about a year. So this is probably March or so of 2021. Uh, there came out a list of all the ingredients in the Pfizer and Moderna shots. And I saw some very long compound names that I've never heard of before. So I did a quick, quick Google search and then I found the material safety data sheets for these compounds 
one of the names of them is DSPC and DSPE. These are the lipid nanoparticles, lipid meaning fat. Nano is to denote the size of them. They're very, very small. And they're in these shots. And the problem with these is, per the manufacturer and their safety data sheet, they're not intended for human use, and they're not even for veterinary use. Not even for veterinary use, meaning we wouldn't even inject these things into beings that don't have souls, for example. Correct. When you alerted your chain of command about these concerns, I'm sure they were anxious to hear uh, what someone with your subject matter expertise had to say. Uh, They appreciated your conscientiousness, uh, your willingness to take it to the chain of command and address your concerns according to the Uniform Code of Military Conduct and and listened intently and gave you an audience. No, No, none of that happened, Sam? No? No, No. I'm sorry to say that absolutely the exact opposite happened. So uh, a few months later, I I did a permanent change of station to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, to be the medical director at their clinic. And that was right around the time when there was even more uh, talk of the Secretary of Defense mandating these shots, these emergency use authorization shots. And uh, I took what I learned previously, and I said, you know what? There's patients that I have as the medical director that don't want to get this shot, specifically service members who feel coerced to get this shot, so I'm going to issue medical exemptions. So by the 28th of August of 2021, I started issuing medical exemptions. One of those medical exemptions through the proper chain of command like it's supposed to, went to the uh, to the sergeant or whoever, and then went up his chain of command, and then the battalion commander, the lieutenant colonel who was in charge, emailed my lieutenant colonel, and I know this because I was able, this, this entire email chain was shared with me, and was emailed to my lieutenant colonel, who was my commander at the time, and she said, no, we're not issuing those right now, and I'll make sure that that doctor knows not to be issuing these. And she's a registered nurse. So she does not have the authority or the medical knowledge to be able to make the decisions that she was about to make. Hmm. So you challenged this. What happened? And so she put me into summary suspension. She revoked all of the medical exemptions that I put out. Again, she's this is a position where a nurse is practicing medicine without a license because she's making individual medical decisions on individual patients that she's never met, and she's not privileged to practice medicine at that institution. She also outlawed the off-label use of ivermectin. And this was during a time before it needed a prior authorization, meaning TRICARE still covered it. Mm-hmm. That is the, the insurance that the government, that the military uses. So TRICARE would, would issue this medication for any reason. She actually called the pharmacist and said, do not dispense any of this medication. Now, typically that would not have stopped me because if I was in practice any longer, I would have continued to just give hand scripts and have them go to a private um, pharmacy and have it dispensed there. But she actually said, no, you can't do it at all. And then the next business day, which was a Monday, she put me in summary suspension. And then ultimately, what happened to your career? So I spent the rest of my time, about a year and a half, two years, sitting in a basement. At one point, I was escorted out of the clinic because there was some idea that they thought that I might hurt someone, which was completely fabricated. Uh, At another point, they uh, accidentally emailed me stating that there was going to be a threat working group and that Major Sigloff with my DID number and my date of birth listed there, was going to be the subject of a threat working group. This was sent to the 902nd, which is a counterintelligence group. So for them to spy on me, to, to do this kind of threat working group, they need special permission, which they did not have. And I 
called and tried to attend this meeting, and they ended up canceling that particular meeting. Um, they claim that it never happened, but who really knows? What's your current standing with the military, Sam? So I'm completely out of the military. However, they still have their, their hooks into my good name. So my previous duty station, when I was in Alaska... How did they discharge they, you? How did, they, how did they discharge you? It was an honorable discharge. Okay. Continue. Go ahead. I actually, I actually tried to get out early, in fact, and I had a letter signed by eight congressmen, and the Secretary of the Army disregarded that and said, no, we need to keep him. Hmm. But now they're, they're continuing in this battle now that you're not even in the military anymore. Yes, sir. Before I was out, and this was nine months after I did a permanent change of station away from Alaska, when I no longer had privileges in Alaska for nine months, they said, we're going to open an investigation into your clinical practice. And we're going, and then they eventually suspended my clinical privileges, privileges which I no longer had there, which were, uh, this entire process was done illegally. They're supposed to go through a very specifically laid out process that's laid out in uh, AR, um, the name is escaping me at the moment, but there is a DA PAM that prescribes exactly how this process is done if there's a concern for a clinician and his practice. And they completely disregarded that. Why? My speculation is that when you're involved in a lawsuit, you're an affidavit writer for a lawsuit against the Secretary of Defense, when you become a plaintiff, so that's in, in the case Robert v. Austin, when you become a, uh, a plaintiff in Coker v. Austin, and you expose the, the medical corruption, and when you become a D-Med whistleblower against the Secretary of Defense, there's probably pressure from the top push down to make an example of Sigaloff. Because they don't want other people following in your footsteps, right? Right. Yes, sir. It's called the chilling effect. Mm-hmm. If if they make an example of me, then who else will do what I do? Right. Because, you know, if they take my license, if they make it to where I can't work in the civilian world, I mean, the investigation they did in Alaska so far, which I appealed their decision more than a year ago, and they have yet to get me a peer review panel, that whole investigation triggered this report to go into the National Practitioners Data Bank. And so when I, when I applied for malpractice insurance, the first person that I, or first uh, group that I applied to, they rejected me. Now, they still have yet to answer why they rejected me when everyone else in the clinic that I'm working in is covered by them. But I can imagine that it has something to do with this complaint that's in the National Practitioner Data Bank that says that basically I'm incompetent to practice medicine. So our audience raised about 20 grand to help with some of your legal defense here. What's the current stand or where do, th- where do things currently stand in your legal battle? So the original case was moved to venue, and then it was dismissed. And with your with your generous gifts, I was able to, um, prov- you know, appeal that 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 decision to have it thrown out. And the judge claimed that it was not legally ripe, in reference to what's going on in Alaska. But I don't think the judge was able to see that the entire thing, even though we laid it out very clearly, that the entire process has been done illegally and against Army regulation. So where do you stand with from a from a career standpoint right now? Where are things at? I'm working in a private clinic right now, and I'm just waiting for insurances to be able to accept me billing to them. And and I pray that this National Practitioner Data Bank complaint doesn't prevent that. How many of the people that you helped have you heard from? The people you helped get exceptions, things of that nature? How many of them have you heard from? Most of them. 
most of them reach back out to me and they're willing to provide letters. Uh, people that I've never, never spoke to, they reach out to me and say, thank you so much for your stance. It's helped me get through this hard time and helped give me motivation to know that there's a doctor out there that cares and that is trying to do the right thing. When you heard from the secretary of the army about uh, right before Thanksgiving that uh, they were offering uh, to bring people back who had been discharged because of the, the poison poke uh, and just kind of forget the whole thing, of course, without restoring people's, you know, uh, pay, rank, anything of that nature. Just forget the whole thing. OK, no reparation uh, for the punitive damage that was done. Just forget the whole thing. We lost our minds, but we, we really need you to come back. When you saw that, what was your reaction? I laughed out loud because who would put themselves in that position again for the government to flagrantly disobey the law that's in the books? And I'm specifically talking about 10 U.S.C. 1107 Alpha, where it states that you cannot order service members to participate in any EUA product. That includes testing. That includes masking. That includes shots. And I want to make it very clear that there was never an FDA-approved vaccine available for the service members, even when they had a vial that said Comirnaty on it. When further research was done, that vial with Comirnaty, the name Comirnaty, actually was manufactured in France. So they can just violate their own code of ethics, their own legalities anytime they want to do whatever they want to, basically, is what you learned. Yes, sir. And they can assault the rights of everyone and, and the medical freedom of everyone in the military. And nobody cares. Now, obviously, this audience cares, but I there's very few senators or congressmen that care. There's very few high officials or high leaders in the military that care. I don't know of a single one star general that's stopped this unless they've been retired. And a retired general is not the same as an active general. Active generals have certain rights and responsibilities and they can call into question and they can start tribunals, whereas retired can't. I've got about two minutes here. I'm, I want to yield my time to you. Use it to say whatever you want to say, whatever you think our audience needs to know about uh, what people like you have gone through uh, because of this vaccine that's not a vaccine and the military and its imposition of this toxic substance. The floor is yours. Well, thank you so much for, for allowing me to come on. Thank you so much for displaying my patch. Um, that's I, right. I, I should have mentioned that. the audience. This is That patch on my computer is a gift from Sam. Yes, go ahead. Thank you, Sam. And the mRNA is probably half or less of the problem. And the reason I say this is because soon all vaccines, or at least there's, there's concerns that most vaccines may have the lipid nanoparticle in them. And if you go and check out my podcast, After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff, please watch episode 33, where I describe how I believe, and I show you through public source documentation using government documents, why I believe that the lipid nanoparticle is a bioweapon developed in part by China and the government. What episode is that again, Sam? Episode 33. And you can see all those documents on Rumble. Great stuff, brother. Hey, Merry Christmas to you and your family. God bless you. Thank you for Merry keeping Christmas. up the God fight, man. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Gentlemen, thoughts on that conversation? Well, for this to work, everything he just said there at the end, possible. They had... The powers that be had to make sure that the military were going to go along with them. And there was, if if our guts were going to tell us that the trad, who where was where would it rise up from? Maybe the traditional American man who would go into the military, who went in for a certain reason, said, "I didn't sign up for this." Well, the powers that be had to find out. 
And wow, they did. The, the, the military, in the name of that Irish trick yesterday, in the name of the common good and everything people believe about vaccines, which you want, I t- America, your average American's addiction to vaccines make the crack addict on the corner look like they're drinking Sanka. All right? They got what they need now. In the name of the common good, they know they have a military that will go full Hunger Games on you in those white suits and beat you with sticks until you submit. That's my elevator speech about what we just heard from Sam. Aaron? They are not destroying the military. They're building a new one. That's correct. Yep. And it started during the Barack Obama administration. And this was not just um, a natural, this was just a harvest of what happened during the Obama administration. They put in place the framework to do what they did, which was to tear down and rebuild. They basically cloward pivoted the military. It's important for everyone to notice that and to understand that. Correct. That's exactly right. Hour two is next. All right, back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace with Tutters and Aaron McIntyre. All of you, let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, me, we, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And for those of you that tune into the podcast each and every day or any day, we sincerely thank you for that. Please leave us a five-star review if you like the show, of course. Thanks to those of you who have. And hit subscribe, or if you're on iTunes, follow. And that way, every time we do a new episode, it shows up in your podcast feed every single time. And thanks to all of you that have done those things for us as well. Thanks as well to our friends at Relief Factor, who sponsor this part of the show. Because they understand, especially as we get older, everyone deals with chronic pain from time to time. This is the kind of pain produced usually from too much inflammation in your joints can lead to that achiness, stiffness, soreness that lingers just won't go away. Well, now you've got a drug-free anti-inflammatory that we are 70% confident will work for you. Now, where do we get that number? And you can tell it's not made up, right? You're not going to make up a number like 70%. You're going to make up a number like 90%, 95. Well, Over the years, 70% of the people that have tried the three-week quick start from Relief Factor have seen such fantastic results in three weeks or less that they've stuck around long-term. That's where we get the 70% number. So why not see if you don't see a difference in your pain level in three weeks or less when you go to relieffactor.com? That's relieffactor.com. Once again, relieffactor.com or call them at 804. That's the number four. 804 relief, 804 relief, or relieffactor.com. I'm going to call an audible here on fake news or not later in this segment. I want us to go back to the conversation we had at the beginning um, because I think there's some other angles to this that need to be discussed that we just ran out of time because I went too long uh, to get to. And I I certainly want to hear what uh, Todd and Aaron think about that conversation. And in response to Aaron's montage today about Daniel Horowitz's fantastic piece about polls. All right. So we're going to do more of that coming up a little bit later on in this segment. And then for Pop Culture Tuesday, next segment, we're just going to wind Todd up. Aaron and I are going to get caught up in our emails and our texts. 
And then it'll be time for me to say John 317, Aaron, and uh, we're good. That's yeah. pretty much what's going to happen, yeah. right? Okay. All right, so that's... Yeah, you're yours to perk up when I draw Michigan into the conversation. Yeah, no, I, 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 I won't care. I've got a ton of emails to answer. So, I'll, but you, so by all means, yeah, the floor the floor is yours. We, we won and are going to win. Uh, we, we got a trophy. You can say anything about us you want. That's all I care about. All right, let's bring in the daughter, the oldest, Anastasia. How are you, sweetie? Good. I like my segment because I feel like it's the most random interruption. Like, I feel like you guys talk about really serious topics and then I'm like, here's this random thing that you probably don't really actually care about, but thanks for giving me 20 minutes to talk about it. Yeah, you come in and and terrorize (laughs) us often with these random things. So what are you, what random thing are you providing for us this week? So I wanted to get your guys' reactions to what's called a beige flag. So it's not anything LGBT. It's not okay. anything uh, like right. that. Okay. I know. I know I what this is. I've heard about this. Yeah, I, I, know I, d- this I don't know what this is. I've never heard the expression before. I figured it's and, and of course, the word beige has pursed my lips very few times. Uh, I know. In this day and age when you hear male. flag, you're What's like, that? this day and age when you hear flag, yes. you were like, yes. here we go. Yeah, exactly. My spidey sense went off immediately, <laughs> but go ahead. So, you know, red flags in relationships. Mm-hmm. So like, that's obviously not good. Or green flags. Okay. Sometimes even people do yellow flags. Okay. But there's now like this trend it's been going on around since the summertime called beige flags so it's something that's neither good nor bad but makes you pause for a minute when you notice it and then you just continue on it's something very odd sometimes people describe it as something kind of annoying and so you what just put that in your it's pretty memory pointless. bank for later on just in case see like that's so my you can then thing pull it like... out and use it against somebody at the, at the most uh, strategic time because yeah. that's all that's always great advice in a relationship is to <laughs> bring up stuff you didn't talk about before you were mad about and then pile on in that moment when it's completely something unrelated that that's usually so let's a go around and say everybody's technique. beige flag about their significant other no, <laughs> <laughs> that's not the segment today okay. i was gonna read you guys some of people's beige flags and have you guys react to them and see if it's fair that they're beige flags if they're more like yellow flags or if you're like this is stupid i don't care okay Todd, are you ready for this? I'm leaning heavily on this is stupid and I don't care. <laughs> yes. And we love Todd, that about when is, you. When have I come yes. on and brought a segment no, on like, where you have not thought it was stupid no, and this is, But no, you, 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 that's a valuable service, though, to just like how like, trivial almost everything is how ridiculously narcissistic that's it's important to be reminded of that see this the was trivial that's important. what we needed another flag what we needed another flag we've got a million flags we needed yet another one Matt Walsh a beige was talking one. about how transgenderism really is just a very highly sexual uh, f- sexualized uh narcissistic fetish that's this is this is just another narcissist like who cares about your damn you, you used to just Roll on with life, but now everybody needs to make sure that you know, everybody else knows how upset you are, but we need to be reminded of that because every time we look out in the world, why doesn't this make sense? Why is things so crazy? Anna's about to tell you right now. <laughs> this was BuzzFeed's headline article today was about beige flags. I didn't know that BuzzFeed was still around. I thought they went out of business. BuzzFeed I needed news content. is out. Oh, okay. Yeah. I right. needed content, so I was like, I'm going to head to BuzzFeed. And you thought mind. a show with uh, a, <laughs> two Gen Xers and a millennial who's basically a boomer. That BuzzFeed would provide the exact right con- content for them to be and commenting that's why. on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the answer. All right, Correct. That's, it. that's well done then. Okay, let's go. All right. Okay, first one. It. So maybe you guys can explain this because Stephen does this as well. So my husband's beige flag is that he doesn't ask for details. His brother had a baby. What's the baby's name? I don't know. I didn't ask. Was it a girl or a boy? I don't know. I didn't ask. So she's saying that's her husband's beige flag. 
I, I think she's just married to a guy. Why do you guys do that? Wait. Why? Isn't the beige flag something you give yourself? No, the beige flag is something you give to somebody oh, no. else. Todd, not. Are you kidding me? No, <laughs> that, was, no that would require self awareness. No, but this and is reflection. No, but no, it's no or narcissism. This is my red flag. If you actually care about telling people about your, like, why do you get to give somebody else? You could Uno reverse it on yourself too. Because that is the spirit of the age. You have to show no self awareness and then get to throw flags on other and people. everybody else. Yes, um, I don't think it's a beige flag. It's called she married a guy. Why do you guys do this? Because that, like, Stephen will be like, my friend just went out with this new girl. I'm like, really? Where'd they meet? He's like, uh, I didn't, we didn't really get to that. You didn't get to where they met? No. And that's my, me. I'm like, I asked for all the details of everything. See, like, why do people you guys do are that? Just, because you guys are different. You guys are different than us. We are, we are very, we are going to ask questions that pertain to the bottom line. Did you find her attractive? Did you have a good time? Did you guys hit it off? Mm. Okay. And we are we are we are typically a result oriented creature, and you as a female are a process oriented creature, typically, and that's why those kinds of details, you're more relational by nature, matter more to you than to us. Okay, so I don't think that's a beige flag. I think she just married a guy. I wish it were that simple, though. I mean, this I'm gonna I gotta bring in what was probably the rest of the show, both before and after, in on this. Like, if it's like this is why I call it soap operas for men. I guarantee you guys know all the details about uh, all the football nonsense. It doesn't matter at all mm. because that's what they care about. I can confirm that. Yes, that's true too. Yeah. Aaron, where are you at on what? this? Sorry. I was looking up the Bo Beckler, the team uh, quote <laughs> post that I'm about to own a Michigan fan with troll. In my uh, mentions, uh, this is just called being a dude. It's not a beige flag at all. It's not any flag. It's just a dude. Just a dude. Yeah. I agree. Although Todd, I, did, I think Todd makes a valid point. But this would be true. What you just said would be true in any era. We could we could have been sitting here in like, um, you know, Enlightenment Switzerland before there was a football or sports teams and women could have asked the exact same questions about why doesn't my husband know any details about like anything involving other people's relationships. See, that's I the, think like, that's a constant. There was another one too about like my husband's beige flag is that he can't plan either where it'll be like, so what time are we going over to your family's for dinner? I don't know. I haven't asked yet. I'm like, see, cause Steven doesn't. Now that's that's like, not a beige flag. Okay. That to me is a red flag. Oh really? Yeah. A guy that will not take any initiative at all. So I'll read you this then. Okay, okay. I'm interested then. My boyfriend's beige flag is that he never knows the plan. What's his mom making for dinner? I don't know. What time are we supposed to be somewhere? He didn't ask. Who's going to be at the event? We'll find out when we get there. He's a go with the flow guy and I'm a scheduled we're talking, girl. We're talking about the same dude again. It's all situational. See, that it's narcissistic. But you said that was a red flag. I think that's a red flag. Not a beige flag. If it's, if it, now listen, you, you asked me what time Thanksgiving dinner was. Mm. So I, your mom wanted that wanted to be able to plan out Thanksgiving dinner. So I let I left that to her. And you okay? did tell me ask your mom because she knows. She knows. But if in a, on a general basis, if you want to know what is going on in the family, I mean, I, I may not know the details of everybody, every one of your cousins, boyfriends or girlfriends. But if those sorts of major in growing up in my home, I mean, I knew what time things were at. I knew when we were leaving. That that's just a to me. You're uh, that's more that's a level of passivity. I would, I would probably throw a red flag on that. Actually, mm. I liked that insight. What's that? I liked the insight. Okay, what do you what do you two think? 
sure it's a beige flag. Especially because it's a boyfriend, right? They're not married. Yep, it was so, a boyfriend. So there, it's not. It's not like okay, you know, I'm I'm on. These are these are the things that I'm in, I'm in control of in the house. These are the things you are in control of. They're just dating, okay? And he has that level of passivity about. You know, these are these are applicable details that matter right now. It's not an applicable detail about not like gossip or drama. Yeah, where they yeah. where these two people met that may never be together in the long run. Okay, this is an event right now. What time are we going there right now? I don't know. Nah, that's that's a nope. That's a no to me. I know you love passive aggressiveness. I do. You know, I've, I I'm a huge fan. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> so this one says that's well known about me. <laughs> This one says, my boyfriend's biggest beige flag is that no, see, I don't like, this one gives me like what's called, what we kids call the ick. I don't like this one. My boyfriend's biggest beige flag is that no matter the restaurant, he will always ask the waiter what to order. No deliberation. He will blindly order what the waiter says, no matter how awkward or embarrassed the waiter looks when he asks every time. See, this is the third time though, where I see the truth in... If this is Perkins or Applebee's, yeah, that's a beige. Yeah, but if you're going to a nice restaurant I've never been to before, I will often ask the waiter, hey, what's good? But she says he always ends up ordering what the waiter says. Like, you can't make the decision for yourself. That's how I think. Like, you can't just be like, like, what if the waiter to you is like, we're having the mushroom soup? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not ordering See, but her boyfriend says he always orders what the waiter says, even if you don't like it. See what I'm saying? Like, that seems so, like, blech to me. This is the third example, though, of where a woman is issuing a flag to a man, which is the whole reason we're talking about any... There's no there's no man within the dude code who would... You just, like... You keep life as simple and no-nonsense and unemotional as possible, and you move on with your life, and you don't constant... This is, this is, what, this is how women are definitely different. I mean, and why we are over... And the more they have influence in the culture, the more emotional both everything is including men because it's over processing there's like this is just supposed to be normal life we're not supposed to be over because look at the psychological bombs we create in ourselves by constantly weighing and measuring everything to see if it's like when it's just normal life that that we are we have increased levels of psychosis because we just turn minutiae into gravitational issues and they're not yeah i I would say this is not a beige or a red flag or anything i mean if he's doing this on big decisions like hey which restaurant should we go to uh, that's not even a big decision if we're if we're doing this on huge issues like life-altering issues and we can't make a decision that's a major red flag but if it's on trivial things you know, it might be annoying if it's Applebee's or McDonald's. Yeah. You don't <laughs> Imagine pull into going Applebee's. To McDonald's. Hey, what's good? Yeah. Well, yeah, come on. Okay. What's good? <laughs> but if you're at an actual sit down, nice restaurant you've never been to before, only been to a couple of times, the waiter probably knows better than you what's good. I mean, the amount of travel I do in this work line of work nowadays. I'm I'm in places I'm not familiar with. I go to restaurants to eat I'm not familiar with. I'll often ask them what's good. And nowadays, I for dessert, I always ask, what do you guys make here? Because that's the stuff that's made fresh. I want to know. That's good. Okay. This is my last one for you. 
Right. So this one says, I love my significant other, but she has tendencies to call or FaceTime me while she is in the grocery store um, or after leaving to show slash tell me everything she has bought. Then when I get home from work, she proceeds to do the same thing, but in person. I'm going to be so honest. I put this on here. Because you do this? Steven does this to me. Or he does it to you. Like, I'll be like, can you grab me? And he's going to laugh when he sees us because he knows it's like my biggest pet peeve is I'll be like, just grab the, and I'll send him a picture. And then he'll call me and be like, is this what you wanted? And I'll be like, is this the picture? I, is it the picture I sent you? <laughs> and he'll say, yeah. And I'll say, okay, I love you. I'll see you when you get home. Bye. And I hang up. <laughs> By the way, uh, Steven's a sergeant in the United States military. Um, <laughs> I love him so much, but he knows that this is something that irks me to no extent. Well, then this is just a troll, right? Could be that. Isn't this? Could be just trolling you. In that case, I respect That's true. That. He, <laughs> he does like to I push could, my button. He could button. just be trolling it. He actually. does like to push yeah. my button. Yeah, he, he could just be doing that. That is true. Sometimes he will call when he's at the, and he'll be like, hey, because he knows I'm going yeah, yeah. so Steven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, it, in, it could just be she's just trying to connect with you. Just wants to talk to you. Well, see, now I mean, now you're making me feel bad. No, I, I I think this could be very gender specific. Okay. Mm. I think, I think in this case, this could just be her way of just wanting to see, you know, have you taken interest in what she's interested in? You know, just trying to communicate with you, connect with you. I wouldn't make that a, a beige flag or anything at all. Yeah. I, I, I'd consider yeah. probably just communicating back. I'd, I'd throw that flag. Throw the communicate back flag. <laughs> Do that. That's the flag I'd throw. Yeah, I think that's dead on. I mean, there are times when my wife is telling me about something. She knows, like, I, I, I don't need to know about this, and you know it's not on my list, but I can tell that she, ju- she just needs to talk. She mm-hmm. just needs to verbalize in that moment. Okay, so you just... That, yeah, I think Steve nailed his, his answer right there. You know what happens when you actually listen, and then, like, two weeks later, you bring up an example of how you listened just in passing conversations. They brownie, love that, right? Brownie points. Yeah. Yeah, they like that. That's something I have to remember to do more often. I just am constantly, I'm so solution oriented. Your mom just had to remind me again, like last week, I think it was. I, I, sometimes we just, I just need you to listen. I, I know you're smart, but you, you can't fix everything. And sometimes I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm still learning that lesson. <laughs> <Over> <laughs> It's hard She's a chip off the old block, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Good to see you, Princess. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Um, let's talk before we get to fake news or not part two about uh, the blind movie. Uh, for years, Hollywood has been lacking when it comes to stories of redemption. Aaron mentioned last hour, um, you know, we've got this thing going on right now in too much of conservative media where the content, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. The content that is, that is most wanted actually is in conflict with what it would take to actually gain power and wield it. Um, and then Aaron, you pointed out that the same thing's going on with the Hollywood left, that it is producing the content, not that audiences want. So the normies are revolting against the right politically. The normies are revolting against the left cinematically. 
Basically, that's what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Because Hollywood doesn't want to make stories like The Blind. And and I know a lot of you don't want to give your money to companies like Apple and Amazon to watch great movies like this. Well, now you don't have to. Give it to us instead. This is the first time we've hosted a theatrical-grade movie here at Blaze TV. If you would like to buy the movie today for $19.99, it's a fantastic film. Very well done. Very real about the transformation uh, and the work Christ has done in the life of our very own Phil Robertson. It's the Phil Robertson story. It's called The Blind. Uh, get it today at blazetv.com slash the blind. Blazetv.com slash the blind. So to reset what we were discussing uh, in Aaron's montage from Daniel Horowitz's outstanding piece today, just taking down the whole polling industrial complex. And, and by the way, I saw again Rasmussen polling from their Twitter account going after, quote-unquote, DeSantis supporters. Why would a pollster do this? This is not the way a pollster should be behaving, regardless of who it is. Like, what would we say if the New York Times said, yep, there's a more Trump supporter? We, we, that, no, no. You're not, that's not a pollster. That's an activist. And I... Here's the, just, to, just to put a final point on what I ran out of time to say about this in Daniel's piece in the first hour. So make sure you've heard that before you get to this part of the conversation. And then, Todd, I'm yielding my time to you. Here's the predicament we are in. If I write a piece at The Blaze, if I write a piece at The Blaze about how Mitt Romney's binders full of women... Okay, that was taken completely out of context. Uh, Donald Trump's some very good people on both sides comment that never actually happened. Okay, if I write a piece about some form of grievance like that, it gets a lot more traffic than if I write a piece about when either one of those two guys has disappointed us on an issue and I hold them accountable from the right. If I write a piece that says... The polls show Trump's going to win. It's going to generate much more traffic and revenue than if I write a piece that say the actual election results show our turnout model right now is screwed and we need to improve it. And so there is a constant feedback loop of incentive to create content because we we are not we aren't the left. We're not being subsidized here and we don't have a bunch of trillionaires waiting to cut us checks in order to produce ideologically rigid content like the other side does. We have to make our money off of you. And so the reality is the the Republicans were victimized gets a lot more traffic and revenue than the Republicans betrayed us again. They, they disappointed us again. The story, the Russian collusion thing was fake, gets a lot more traffic and revenue than Trump offers Nancy Pelosi biggest amnesty deal of all time. Both those things actually happened in the Trump presidency, by the way. In fact, if I write that other article, a lot of you will come at me and say, well, he's under attack because of Russian collusion. He's got to cut these kinds. You'll rationalize it, actually, and come at me for telling you. Not that I have any experience with that. If I write the article, the polls show we're going to win. That's going to generate, leading up to the election, that will generate much more traffic and revenue than an article after we lost again indicating why that happened and what we could do to change it the next time. 
And, you know, we're all for-profit entities here. We can't keep generating content that there isn't a market for. And so this is the constant pressure that we're under on the, on the producer side of this. Forget, hey, I went and hung out at Mar-a-Lago. Had it, they bought me a few cocktails and threw, ten, threw 20 grand my way. I'm just talking about market for it. We don't even have to get to that level of grift. Just talk basic market forces. What generates traffic? Victimization, grievance, that's what you buy more than anything else. Victimization, grief, gr- grievance, and hopium. Those three things sell constantly reality truth how to do better doesn't sell as much that's why you don't get as much of it and so we're in this feedback loop todd where we are constantly under pressure to produce results that sell but the results that we're produced that we're called to that that, that sell the most are the ones that have the least likely opportunity to produce success on election day and so here we are no and you're to blame on that end when you're more consumer than you are citizen. We're to blame on this end when we're more grifter than we are citizen. So why aren't, isn't it more clear that we're citizens? And what does that mean? At the very least, it means we have multiple principles that we bottom line ahead of merely making money. Well, why don't we do that? Well, because it, we love comfort is one of them and that's because really this is the more i think about just the and i look back and i connect the dots the republican party really in my and steve's it's really been the comfort party that just becomes more clear to i me. just want to be left alone yeah it's just make the trains run yeah. on time yeah so that's a problem but also how do we get to this because this and this has everything to do with uh what steve's uh monologue was uh yesterday i i've heard this from the church broadly speaking i know and i know i i'll give you my catholic version of that but i know steve and aaron have examples on the other like i i've been there in i've and i've said all this before i've been there in a church uh governance meeting where seven literally men in their 70s the ones who are supposed to be the wise ones the sages tell me well son you have to understand the church is also a business no it's not I've heard uh, multiple uh, opportunities go right by the wayside to take the scripture and the news and to bring them together on issues of great import, but yes, controversial. And, and you'll get fleeting uh, conversation about it, hardly going. But when it comes time to talk about the church budget, That's the longest homily you'll hear all year long and about how we need to work on our tithing. See, this, the fish rots from the head, Steve has told you, and Mm -hmm. I don't think he said that for a while, but the, the head of this nation has always been supposed to be a moral and religious people and no other. We can't really, we can't, everybody is just, by definition, we are a nation of grifters now on all sides all sides and we really aren't really to sac aren't willing to sacrifice and yeah i get it it made sense five years ago but right now my goodness the democrats are running on uh 
jabbing you with poison, transing your kids, and kill the Jews. This is actually their platform, and we still Don't can't forget find- bankrupt America. Yeah, and, and Don't that. sell them short, Todd. Lie to your And they're face. winning. And they're winning. Yes, that's my point. And they're winning, and we don't have a better closed-hand set of principles. We're as guilty as anybody else. More than ever. So what is the first commandment in the Thou shall be fake news. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. What's the first commandment in the Bible? I'd like to read it for you. Congress shall make no law restricting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press, the right of the people to peaceably assemble. Is that the first commandment? No. No. That's the first amendment. The first commandment is thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. The highest principle on the right right now is free speech absolutism. That's the highest principle. That sounds good in theory. But is free speech the highest principle? Is that what God tells us is the highest principle? No. When free speech is your highest principle, you get people on the right running cover for Hamas. Taking all sorts of contradictory opinions, taking all sorts of contradictory positions. And so what's the end result? Well, you make some money. But at the end of the day, if our highest principle is just free speech for free speech's sake and platforming free speech, and Lord knows we need platforms for free speech. But if that's only your highest principle... You're going to go nowhere in the culture. Nowhere. And so we people, aren't. People don't know what you stand for at the end of the day. When you have people on the same networks running cover for Hamas and saying that Israel needs to destroy Hamas. What the hell are we telling people? This has everything to do with this conversation. Yep. We don't know what we're for. People don't know what people outside who don't even consume this content, maybe just see it in passing, have no idea what the hell we're standing for. They might know what we're against. That's that's fundamentally an us problem. So when it comes to winning elections, how are we going? How are we going to actually bring more people in if there's not a coherent message, if there's not a coherent principle more than just and transcendent of free speech absolutism. Can you answer that question for me? Because I sure as heck can't. And so, at the end of the day, if free speech absolutism is the highest principle on the right. Whatever is going to get the most clicks then will come in behind that. And we are not going to make any headway whatsoever in this culture and in this society. Certainly not in elections. <laughs> elections, no. It's broken, guys. We've gone from Bruce Jenner, picture of American masculinity on our Wheaties boxes, to he's basically doing a tranny version of a Melania Trump lookalike contest. He's such a broken vessel. We've gone from earlier in my career, I had to say things like there's, you know, there's things more important than just winning elections for election sake. Remember I did those shows. Mm -hmm. Now we've gone so far the other way. You know, we actually still have to win elections at some point. 
I mean, that's that's where the center doesn't hold. There's no principle, no first thing. You know, one day we are hoping we won't have to tell you about preborn anymore, and preborn is hoping for the same thing. But today we're not there yet. And thankfully, we do have at least one pro-life ministry that is ready to fight and win uh, the battle for life in a pro in a post-row world. They already understood that ultimately this comes down to reaching hearts and minds. And they've been out there on the streets for years now at Preborn, reaching out to moms in crisis, women who are contemplating uh, killing their own child. Uh, and let's face it, if these are women that are in a fulfilling and safe and secure relationship, they're probably not thinking of killing their kid. Almost always, it's a woman who's not. And so they understand that this takes both truth and grace. They start with the truth. They need to be confronted with the truth that they're not, that's not their body. It's somebody else's heartbeat. They need to hear, feel that ultrasound. And so they, they do, they confront them with that. And about 80% of the time when a mom is confronted with that truth, she doesn't go through with killing her kid, but she is still in a precarious situation. So this is now where the grace comes in. They offer uh, prenatal care, postnatal care, even counseling, all of this stuff for free including the ultrasounds, all of it for free because of tax-deductible donations from people like us. If you're looking for a great ministry to give to, particularly for end-of-year giving, go to preborn.com slash Steve. Make that donation today. You know, $28 is all an ultrasound costs, and there's 80% chance that that ultrasound that you purchased with a $28 donation is going to save a life. So that would be a heck of an investment to make. A lot of you already have. Thank you for that. All right. Preborn.com slash Steve. Again, that's preborn.com slash Steve. Pop Culture Tuesday, when we look at the intersection between what's trending in pop culture and what we are supposedly still trying to conserve, although I'm not even sure what that even is anymore. The announcement this weekend, Jonathan Smith is a successful football coach at Oregon State. Don't let his, don't let his losing record all-time Fulia. He took over a program that was in the midst of a nuclear winter, his own alma mater. The last time they were good is when he played there. He dug them out of nuclear winter. He built that program from absolute scratch, from nothing, and built it up. And they're in the midst of one of the most successful two-year periods that they have had in the history of their program. They won nine, was it 10 games last year? They've won at least eight games this year. They'll be in a bowl game, and they who knows, they could win another nine this year. They don't do that regularly at Oregon State. <clears throat> but the problem with Oregon State, though, is that they were left behind. They were, they're part of the Pac-2, the leftovers, what remains. All right, the other uh, 10 schools in the Pac-10 or Pac-12 got raptured to other conferences during what is called <laughs> realignment, but it's really consolidation. That's really what it is. Because TV networks and online outlets like Peacock and Paramount, they need, they need, they need a, a conglomeration of content, a glut of content, so that you'll give them your 5, 10, 15 bucks a month for a subscription and not somebody else. And so these, these, these teams and these leagues are consolidating now to create as much content as possible for these new online entities that are the primary way that we're going to access content in the, in the era moving forward. And so they're calling it realignment, but really it's consolidation. 
So those, so 10 of those schools were raptured. It started with USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, then Oregon and Washington, and then four more went to, the, to, to what is the Big 12 and now is the Big 16. <clears throat> and so we are left now with just Washington State and Oregon State. They were left behind. There, when the music stopped, there was no chair for them to sit in. They technically are still members of the pack too, but there's a bunch of legalities and stuff they've got to work through to see if they're able to cons- to join with another league, to invite other schools. They don't have a schedule for next year right now. They have no clue what's going to happen to their programs. So Jonathan Smith, a very coveted coach with the coaching carousel because of the work he did at Oregon State, and he's got a he's got a decision to make. What does he do? Well, he made the decision. He has left his alma mater uh, and said, hey, you guys, I, I don't know that you have a football program. Well, you're going to have one. I just don't know if what league we'll be in. Will we be a power five, which means the major leagues, a group of five, which means the minor leagues. So he left for Michigan State University over the weekend. And, and he takes over what in the new Big Ten, this would have been a top five or six job in the old Big Ten. In the new Big Ten, it's probably a top nine, 10, 11 job because of you know, you're adding in USC, Washington, UCLA, Oregon, et cetera. But at least it's a job that knows what its schedule is next year and what conference it's going to be in. So he deserted his alma mater or he moved on up to a better opportunity, depending on your perspective, did what he had to do, or he left him behind rather than stay and fight for his alma mater, depending on your perspective again. And that's what we're going to discuss here. Or in other words, we're going to wind up Todd and let him discuss Did Jonathan Smith make the right decision to leave his alma mater and go to Michigan State University to coach football next year? Todd, what say you? Well, he didn't make a decision. Anybody has a right to criticize. And it's, it's, I mean, I know what Steve is saying uh, in terms of um, consolidation, but that's a, technical observation the moral observation is that this is just the seven deadly sins on tilt this is greed is what it is all of this was a choice everybody knows the sports radio bros are the best they just talk about just money talks just too much money and they'll complain about this is bad they'll say this i wish it were still otherwise a lot of it even some of the younger guys they're starting to get like nostalgic about leagues they never even watched because they're too old, but they'll, they'll, they'll take you back into the way back, uh, back machine. This is, this is just greed. People could have put the brakes on at any time and say, this is, this is ridiculous, but nope, just too, just too much money. Can't turn down that much money. I mean, that's, is that a biblical, like, is that a neutral ground biblically guys? There's just too much money to be made. Got to take it. No matter what the consequences are. Of course not. And so, but because that's become our bottom line, we, we, we are morally untethered across the board. And that's why this is just soap operas for men now. And, you know, this, this guy just looks around him and just says, you know, I'm in a liberal toilet of a state here in Oregon, and there's a liberal toilet of a state over there in Michigan. But, you know, one I can just see down the road a little bit more clearly i don't know anything about this guy by the way other than what just steve just told me but i think long term i think i can support maybe just my family better um no one has no one has a right to criticism now this a perfect example of like i in all of this 
it's just in the news. It has nothing to do. Steve happens to be a Michigan fan. Okay, so it has it has nothing to do with him. But like, it, it, I've, I watched the game for the first time and I can't remember when just because I've got other stuff going on and it's not my team. I watched it this time. I It was fantastic. What a football game. Why can't that just be enough? Why wh- wh- the, the people like the soap opera more and everybody... And for, for, and you're, you're guilty of this if you're not a Michigan-Ohio State fan, but all the rationalizations about a team that cheated, and you know who agrees with that? Michigan does, because they fired the game, did it, and then all the due process stuff went away pretty darn quick once they realized, I think this might get more than just them picking on Harbaugh, and it might get worse, so how about we just take this, even though it had him missing the game? Yet all the, 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 the morally superior ones now in Ohio State, it was just a couple years ago, when it was far less impo- uh, a big deal about cheating in a football game where you were going to the rails about a guy who was defending a guy who beat his wife. But soap operas for men, my team, my team, right or wrong. Th- this is where the moralizing is going to come from? Really? About whether this guy in Oregon just looks at this and s- he may know better than anybody what a farce this is. Tell you. I mean, that the the... The fact that Oregon State and Washington State, the best part about all this is that they stuck to their guns when the uh, when they refused to let the people that leave, the, all the teams that left, have a vote anymore. And those teams are like, oh, I can't believe this is happening because everybody's so used to n- not the soap opera not having any consequences. I hope, I don't know what's legally possible, and here Steve would no doubt know more, but I, to the degree that those two schools, with whatever vote they have, can like just rob them blind at the end of the day, whatever money is made, and now it's dispensed, and because they're not voting members, they don't have a say anymore. Oh my goodness. I hope they take all the money that they can. Maybe that's not part of the vote, really has nothing to say about that. But this is, none of this had to happen. You have this is why this is not a football story or a sports story. Look at where we are with our public schools, with the, uh, the insanity about COVID. None of it had to happen, but we decided to live based on lies and not based on truth. This is not a sports story. This this the soap operas for men thing. If if I could, uh, if I could take one thing away. If I was King for a day, could snap my fingers in the top five would absolutely. And I know how this impacts and the trickle down effect. And my daughter plays college sports and that's the money that uh, runs her programs is from from football. And I would snap my fingers in a second. And, you know, by now, if you watch me long, long enough, I believe it. I would take sports away and make all of you deal with it and watch how you, you would have no idea what to do with your time. I, I heard a guy in the Dan Patrick show. He talked to an old man uh, once who told him, I haven't watched a single football game of any kind since um, the date went back decades, decades. And this guy uh, on the Dan Patrick show, who's their producer, he's younger. He's younger than uh, Steve and I. He may be close to our age, but he just said, I, cu- I couldn't even like rationalize that. I had no way of understanding what that even meant. That describes so many men in this country, and that has a direct correlation why we are in so much trouble. So we are in no position to cast judgment on this guy. He didn't create any of this, not a bit of it. 
he managed to succeed under incredibly difficult circumstances and he took on that challenge uh that's what i give him credit for so i mean i know you guys have uh things to say about it as well but this is man i mean good luck at michigan state i mean that athletic department yikes um i hope you know what you're doing on that end but in terms of leaving oregon state i I can't cast judgment on you at all i don't have anything to say about it actually i just wanted to let ut off other than jonathan smith doesn't owe oregon state anything because if he had a losing record the next two years regardless of what conference they'd be in they'd fire his ass so it's a business so I, I I don't think he owes them jack squat, Todd or Aaron. But yeah, I'm not sure how realignment. Other than there's, I mean, there's going to be some college football season next year for Oregon State, more likely than not. Um, if there were no realignment and Michigan State, with their deep pockets deeper than even what the Pac-12 could have provided, do you think Jonathan Smith says no to that job? Probably not. Probably doesn't say no. To a job that would that if if say that what you just said again you're looking at me like I gave you the wrong answer. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm slower than you are. I think that's why I'm looking at you weird. You're saying was he would yeah, he if, probably if, leave anyway? If there were no just, realignment, would he leave yeah, anyway? More well, money. Very, very, very. Most very, 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 He could very well have said, "I took this thing as far as I can go. I know the yeah. history of Oregon State better than anybody else. And if we have if we have two down years to rebuild again, they'll fire my ass. So I'll just I'll leave now. Yeah, yeah I think so, it's entirely possible. So yeah. yeah, I don't know why we're having this conversation uh nationally because if if everything were the same he's probably leaving anyway i mean it's not like we don't have it's not like we don't have an example of that already who's the coach that i'm thinking of is it uh, washington state's coach actually who uh coached for sioux falls so he doesn't really doesn't really have any ties to the midwest mm-hmm. um so people are talking about well he you know, can't really go back and go back to the you know um go back down the, the ladder again. Um, I, the affinity that coaches have for their alma maters is just, it's cool stories when they work out, but at the end of the day, whether or not it works out or not, it is still always a, a, a business. That's not to say that that's always a good thing. That's I'm just saying that's the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, do I wish that more people... And would we be better off if more people were not primarily driven by money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we would be. But the reality is, as it currently stands, that's just not the case. So what do we do about but where that? Are, where are our norms created more from uh, the football environment for men these days or the church? The football environment. Yeah. So I mean, more we is, talk about- is that because people have turned their back on the church or because the church wouldn't be interested in even creating those norms, even if they hadn't? Yes. Both. The answer's probably both. Yeah, we're but just I debating also, ratios. Yeah. I also fundamentally reject, though, that the coaches coming and going uh, is a reasonable argument for why players should be able... These are apples and oranges argument that they coach. Does anybody really want to say after what's happened in the three last three or four years since the transfer portal... Uh, Who provides and, and, more value to the team, which, the head coach or the starting left tackle? Which one upset? Well, probably the, the, the coach, coach. The coach. Yeah, uh, the, the coach. But also regarding the player, like which, the, what, what's caused more chaos in 
the, the last four years of players being able to do whatever they want to or pick whatever year you want to in college football history where coaches moved around. I don't think there's any debate. There's no debate about that because it's not the same argument. But you have all the the, the geniuses like Jay Billis over there talking, well, what the coaches get. To, it's not the same thing. And you're too smart to be this stupid. But it's just the money. Just the money. It's all out there. All from a video game lawsuit. Yeah. Should a private company be able to take your name and likeness? That was a legitimate case that Ed Bannon made. Then that was used as the groundswell argument for now all of these college institutions where there is clearly something you were getting. You just don't care. It's not my fault you just don't care about a college education or bettering yourself. And the only thing you care to do is dribble or throw or whatever. But you were getting something pretty darn good. I mean, the lies we tell ourselves in bro sports land are just... Again, they make crack addicts look sober. You teed me up. Not my fault. I think I only had to talk after the live read about... 30 seconds. Yeah, maybe a minute. And that I, entire segment. I'm, oh, people are going to come back at me. Oh, so this, it's I'm, so I'm, funny I'm, after I'm, this. I'm caught up on my emails and text. It completely, it perfectly worked, Aaron. I had it's one guy, I coach kids in athletic sports, and I bet I do more every day to teach them about values. And, you know, get bent. Hey, Todd, is it... Is your primary problem with instant replay itself or replay <laughs> replay review? Because those are Thank two you. different things. Aaron, we got to go, Aaron. You've never meant more to me. Is it replay right review? You, you get me. Because you, you used to say instant replay, and I thought, oh, he just means replay review. Save that for a day next July. When we can't do anymore. When you're in the hospital Boom, can't again. Do, yeah, yeah. Todd and I have to do the show. <laughs> well, that... Yes. Or we, we can't do another day of boomer election headlines. This old man screamed this at the other old man who screamed back at him this. Because the longer I'm around, Todd, I'm actually fine with just getting rid of all instant replays on television broadcasts. Winning. Winning. What are your thoughts on having a college football playoff? Should it be expanded to 16 teams? <laughs> Tune in tomorrow. John 317. It's buy, sell, or hold. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.